0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Network, currently sponsored by our friends over at Pro Prep. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's 3 0 win over Southampton. The Gunners get back to winning ways, and for the most part, it was a really, really impressive performance. We're going to be discussing the game itself. We're going to be discussing some individual performances. And, of course, we're going to be talking about the big story regarding Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, due to a disciplinary breach, was left out of the squad yesterday, as confirmed by Mikel Arteta. There's been a number of stories going round around what exactly Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang might have done. Uh, the Athletic have reported that he was late back from a trip abroad, uh, which, of course, is is not on. So uh, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to share my thoughts on the Abamyang situation. Um, and, of course, we're going to get your take on the matter in the comments section below. I uh, just want to apologize that there wasn't a post-match reaction podcast straight after the match yesterday. Um, I had a family function, a family event, uh, a, a special birthday party, which uh I was uh I was attending. So I literally went there from Emirates Stadium. So there wasn't a chance for me to get home. And by the time I got home it was really late and um yeah I wasn't in the podcasting mood, let's put it that way. Uh so we're back. We're here now and uh we're gonna bring you uh, our usual schedule of content over the coming day. So really, really looking forward to that. Let me say a few hellos before we uh jump straight into it. Big hello to Steve, uh, to James, uh, to Merry Christmas, to John not uh, to Fala, to Arthur, who says it's one o'clock here in South Africa. Good afternoon to you and everybody else joining us from that part of the world. Uh, hello to Henry, to Majenik, uh, to Yona, uh, to Ale, uh, to Nathan. Hope you guys um, are good. Uh, Johnny tuning in from Rio. Uh, must be a uh, Loving it over in Rio. It must be better than it is here, weather-wise, surely. Uh, big hello over to you, mate, uh, and to everybody else in the chat box as well. Uh, Ekene, uh, SP, um, David. He says, "Shocking, Harry. Uh, how dare you have a family thing on?" I know, man. I took took one Saturday off. I've been getting pelters for it. Uh, big hello to Mohammed as well. Hope you're good, my friend. Asaf, hope you're good. Uh, he says, "Hey Harry, catching you live on a morning run. You better keep me pumped. You'd be easy after that performance. Yeah, you'd think so." Uh, Mint says, "Tuning in from Sonny Barnett, just down the road, and of course to SP from India." Right, let's uh, let's dive into it then. Let's um, I think we should start with the Bamian thing. Let's get it out of the way. Let's let's deal with the elephant in the room, and that is the Pierre Emerick Bamian situation. Now, look, we all know he's not been in the greatest of form lately, and I think for me. I've I've come to the point with Abamyang that I've I've just accepted that Abamyang is not the Abamyang we had two seasons ago. I think we've we've kind of over the last eighteen months started to see a decline in Pierre Emerick Abamiang's level of performance in terms of his outputs, and many would argue that that's to do with the way the team plays. Some would argue that it's to do with the lack of chance creation. And as a consequence, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is suffering from that and his numbers have taken a dip, taken a drop off the back of that. But I would argue that actually Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in front of goal is is nowhere near as assured as he was, let's say, two, three seasons ago. And so, you know, it is a decline in terms of his quality. And and that's understandable when you get to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's point in his career. You're talking about a 32-year-old. You're talking about someone who next year will be in his last year of Arsenal contract. And you're sitting there thinking, well, if his performances aren't as good as they were, there's not a great deal we can do about that as long as the effort's there. As long as he's putting it in. As long as he is turning up week in, week out, showing commitment, showing that he understands what it means to wear the captain's armband of this football club, showing that he understands just how big a role he has to play in the development of this team, you can live with the dropping outputs. You can live with the fact that he's not performing at the level that he once was. Now, I think all of us understand that the striker thing, it's an issue for Arsenal. All of us understand that in this rebuild, where we've clearly started from the back and worked our way, uh, you know, through various positions... All of us understand that that will be on Mikel Arteta's radar. He will know full well that he needs to improve in terms of his strikers. He will know full well that Lacazette is very, very close to the exit door. He'll know full well that Eddie and Nketiah is the same. And he knows, I think, that following Balogun is not at the level yet where you can just throw him in and trust him. I think Mikel's coming to realise that Martinelli can be very effective from a wide position, perhaps not so much through the middle, not as much as some people suggested, not as much as I thought. You know, I, I was one of the people that said a little while ago that when you look at Martinelli's skill set, he's someone that could probably do a job up front. I know I've digressed off of Aubameyang just there, but the point I'm trying to make is that we all know the striker situation is not perfect. But I think in Mikel Arteta and Edu's eyes, having two senior experienced seasoned centre forwards at your disposal, it, it it's it's reason to believe that that position wasn't necessarily the priority this summer and that we could deal with other areas first knowing that those two guys were still there and we're going to produce a minimum standard at least but this attitude business this failure to adhere to the standards set by the manager and and i put a tweet out yesterday and i said If you're Mikel Arteta out, that's fine. If you think that Mikel Arteta is not the right man for the club and that's your opinion, that's not a problem. But let's not pretend that Mikel Arteta is at fault here for trying to uphold the disciplinary standards that he has set. He'd be, you know, how spineless would it be if you said, guys, these are our protocols, these are our rules, this is what I need you to adhere to. And your captain does it and you go, it's all right. That rule doesn't apply to Pierre. Applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That would be weak as a manager. Equally, he can't just leave him out of the team because, A, if he leaves him out of the team and Arsenal don't score goals, the first thing all the Arteta critics are going to say is, well, he left Aubameyang out. He's been our best goal scorer over the last three years and he's left... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang out of the side. What a shambles. He's clueless, as people put it. I think Mikel Arteta is at a point in his Arsenal career where he doesn't have room to wiggle anymore. Okay, we went on a poor run of results um, in recent weeks, and it's prompted all the Arteta out talk again. There is no leeway. There is no wriggle room for Mikel Arteta to, to use at the moment. He is... With his back up against the wall, he needs to get things right and he needs to get things right quickly. And it must be incredibly frustrating when your senior players, in this case, your captain, is letting you down. And with Aubameyang, this is not a one-off, OK? People were, were asking me yesterday what the other occasions were when I tweeted that I think he should be stripped of the captaincy. I do. But He did turn up late for the North London Derby. He did get caught having a tattoo done during the height of the first lockdown, which wasn't allowed for anybody, let alone a footballer. So he is in a place where he's crossed that line for me too many times. And imagine you're Mikel Arteta, right? You must turn up at training and you must think, well, look, I'm I'm going for a rebuild here. I'm trying to develop this team. I'm trying to get this team performing at a much higher level on a consistent basis. My worry here would be, can I get these young players to perform at that level? It shouldn't be, is my captain going to bother turning up? Is my captain going to go abroad and come back in time? That shouldn't be a concern. I was on the BBC Football Daily podcast yesterday with... um, with Alex Bruce and um, Luke Edwards of the Telegraph. And, and Alex Bruce made a great point where he goes, he was asked the question, basically, have you ever been in a dressing room where there's been a player who felt as though the rules didn't apply to him? And how would you deal with that? And Alex Bruce said, well, yeah, you know, th- th- there are players that, that push the limits. There are players that feel as though they can do whatever they want Is is basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But for a professional player to put his manager, especially the club captain, in that position whereby he has to stand up and explain why the guy is not in the team off the back of a disciplinary breach is bang out of order. Add to that, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as we're being led to believe, according to The Athletic, asked to go abroad for personal reasons. Now we played on Monday and we had a game on Saturday. Unless there are extenuating circumstances, you should not be allowed to go abroad, especially at a time like this, where there's risk of COVID and there's protocols that you would need to follow when coming back from certain countries. Now, I don't know exactly where Abamyang went. Um, you know, I don't know exactly the personal reasons, what they were. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to speculate about that, but, when you've been afforded that license, I guess, by your club at a time like this, the least you can bloody do is turn up on time. And that, for me, is 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 unacceptable. And as I say, once is a. I I think someone put this in the comments. Let me pick this up because this is a really, really good uh, way of explaining it. Um, John Knott says once is a mistake, twice is a pattern. Completely agree. And it is becoming a bit of a pattern with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And I'm sorry, it's time to strip him of the captaincy. He should never have been made captain in the first place. He took over after the Granite Jacker incident. We all know what happened there. And off the back of that, Unai Emery gave the captain's armband to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, our best player at the time, one of the senior players, a leader, by example, more than vocally, if you like. Um... He he took on the captaincy. I don't think he was ever the right man, but, you know, it is what it is. You you move forward with it. I think coming in as Mikel Arteta, it's very difficult to then go, oh, Pierre, you know, I know you've been given the captaincy by a previous manager, but I don't think you're up to it. I mean, what does that do to the relationship between the player and the manager? So I understand why Mikel's left him there. And I've said throughout, like, if you want to get the max out of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, it's important that you keep him happy. You know, we gave him this bumper contract. I'm sure being the skipper was a a part of that um, negotiation, you know, remaining as the captain would have been something that he would have looked at and said, well, I can stay at Arsenal, I can be the captain, I can be the highest paid player, et cetera, et cetera. All of that probably appealed to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But there comes a point where players make it impossible for you to still trust in them. There comes a point where players turn the situation toxic themselves by their poor actions. And a lot of people have been uh, throwing the blame at Mikel Arteta, to my surprise, on social media saying, well, he should never have come out and said that pre-match. He should never have come out and said that. No, he absolutely should. As fans in the modern era, as fans in 2021, the thing that we long for most in a lot of instances is transparency so much is written, so much is said, so much is talked about uh, around all sorts of topics that a lot, a bit of transparency is, is very welcome in, in football nowadays. And Arteta has been very open, very transparent. He didn't want to go into details, which I think was great. He didn't cross the line, but he made it clear that something was not right. He made it clear that all was not well with regards to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And as a fan, I like that. I want my manager to A, have the uh, conviction to follow through on the punishment uh, when he sees somebody breaking or, or failing to meet the standards that he has set. And two, the having the balls to actually do it, you know, is and, and come out and say, I should say it is even bigger. And, and I like that, you know, one thing you cannot say about Mikel Arteta is that he's not brave in his decision-making is that he's not bold. He is, um, And all successful people back themselves and back their thinking and back their mentality. And I think that with Mikel Arteta, although there are still question marks around various elements of his management, I don't have a problem with him having this no-nonsense attitude when it comes to players failing to adhere to the standards. And look, it doesn't matter if it's Aubameyang, it doesn't matter if it's Rob Holding, it doesn't matter if it's Callum Chambers, Um, It doesn't matter if it's Martin Odegaard. The punishment and the rules should be the same for everybody. And it's refreshing to see a manager come into a club where the culture for years and years and years has been rotten. It has been rotten to the core. And look, changing it was never going to happen overnight. There are still players at the football club who were part of a really poor culture that was kind of allowed to grow. Um, within the Emirates Stadium for a long, long time, and now we've got Mikel Arteta here, who, yeah, is still developing as a manager, still learning on the job in a lot of ways, but has ultimately made his decision, set his standards in terms of what people need to deliver around discipline, um, effort, etc., etc., and um, and and followed through with a punishment that seems, by what we've read, just. And and I'm sick of it with Obamiang now. You know this stuff's becoming tiresome. It's happened too many times for me now. It's clear that we're not going to see the best Obameyang again um, under Mikel Arteta. It's clear the club back Mikel Arteta. Therefore, let's move on from him. You know, if the, he goes into the final year of his contract next season, if somebody's interested in January, move him on. If somebody's interested in the summer, move him on. I mean, initially I'd have said wait till the summer. Initially, I'd have said, keep hold of him until that point. He can still bring something to the table. But if he's causing problems behind the scenes, if he's not, um, you know, if he's not adhering to the standards, then sorry, but get rid of him. You know, get rid of him. What I would rather, and I know this is, you know, a controversial topic, but I'd rather watch players that are committed and developing and learning who I'm invested in than watch players who are clearly swanning around taking a fat paycheck, who have shown effort on the pitch in in some ways in recent weeks. And, I, you know, I've been one of the first people to praise Aubameyang for his increased work rate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it just shows a distinct lack of respect, not just for your manager, but for your teammates and for the supporters who, quite frankly, Pierre, pay your wages. It's, you know, it's it's a lack of disrespect. It's, it's horrible. It's happened one too many times. If there was a genuine and valid reason for his delay in return, I'm sure that Mikel wouldn't have done what he did. Um, I think you've got to trust the manager's integrity in that sense because I know there's people saying, Well, oh, how do we know that it was Abamyang's fault that he was back late? I mean, these guys fly private, man. These guys do what they want. Um, you know, and, and as I say, I'm sure if there was a genuine and valid reason as to why, um, you know, as to why Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's return was delayed, then I'm sure Mikel Arteta wouldn't have gone as big as he did uh, on the whole incident. So that's my view on it. Mikel Arteta absolutely right in my opinion to to punish Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and also right to to make it public to send a message to the player, to the rest of the players, and to the fans who, you know, a lot of the time are, are blindly kind of backing our players and, and always looking at the manager when things go wrong. It's a, it's a, a message that tells us that, listen, it, you know, how how much work can be done behind the scenes if key people are not invested. And, you know, I thought that there looked to be a good spirit in the team yesterday. I'm not saying Abamyang impacts that in a negative sense, but it didn't seem to bother Arsenal. I didn't feel um, that Abamyang wasn't there. And, um, you know, there will be games where we miss him. But, you know, this is the situation now. He has to come out and make amends. He has to come out and apologise. And if he does, then you can maybe draw a line under it um, and continue to use him as a player and continue to to have him as a key part of your squad. But regardless of whether he apologises and makes amends in terms of his performances in the upcoming months, I want to see him stripped of the captaincy. It's happened time and time again um and yeah it's not on it's not on if i didn't do what i was required to do in my day job or any job i wouldn't have that job anymore i'd be sacked. and and why is it that you know just because you're a footballer doesn't mean you can't turn up to work doesn't mean that you can just do whatever the hell you want um and, and completely ignore and disregard any sort of rules put in place. So, look, really disappointed in Aubameyang. And, and I'm really, really glad, actually, that it didn't affect the team yesterday, didn't affect the performance, didn't affect the result. And we'll come on to talk about that uh, in just a few moments time, because I know that is the the thing I really want. Well, that is definitely the thing I really want to focus on, the performance, certain aspects of it. But we had to talk about the Abamiang thing. It's the elephant in the room. And, and I think my stance on it anyway is pretty clear. Strip him of the captaincy if he sh- if he shows remorse, if he apologises, and you want to use him as a member of the squad and as part of the team, then do so. But for me, the captaincy thing has, has run its course now. Um, this has happened too many times. Would taking the captaincy off of a Bamiyang turn him uh, or put him in a, in a bigger strop and put him in a place where he's, he's performing at an even lower level? Well, if so, then you leave him out of the team. Honestly, I don't care. I'm 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 up to here with it with the Abamyang stuff you know as I said before you look at the young players around the club and and you look at them and you go well you know each of them at some point or another is probably going to have a, a a moment where their judgment wasn't quite right and that comes from inexperience from immaturity you know like I'm a 31 year old guy and I still act like a 12 year old sometimes so I know that we can be immature right but when it's your captain Someone who has huge responsibility, I I don't think it's acceptable. And as I say, mistakes happen um, once, maybe even twice. But this has happened more than that. And and as as was put so brilliantly in the chat by John Knott, it's becoming a bit of a pattern. And that simply isn't good enough. Um, I can see that there's a few people in the chat sort of who disagree with me, actually, um, who feel as though, um, you know, the manager is to blame here. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that you can blame the manager. I mean, how can you blame the manager here? I would love somebody to tell me how you can blame the manager here. Has Mikel Arteta's management been spot on throughout the course of his Arsenal career? I, I would argue no. I would argue he has made mistakes. I would argue that he's dealt with certain situations incorrectly. But as I keep saying, this is not the first time we've run into this problem with Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. And for me, it needs dealing with and it shows weakness and it's spineless to completely overlook it as a manager and just allow it to slide. You know, what message, as I said about the messages that they send, what message does it send to the remainder of your squad? If they're being told, well, you can piss off abroad in the middle of the season, um, we'll, we'll agree to it as a football club, which they don't have to do, by the way, but they did we'll agree to it as a football club we'll give you that special dispensation and then you go and take the piss out of us it's for me it's it's not on it's not on at all right before we continue and we talk solely about the performance and the fixture itself pierre emery kabamian can get in the bin uh, let's talk. Uh, let's bring you a quick reminder Uh, that this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at ProPrep. ProPrep is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths related modules, and it can half your study time. ProPrep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. And it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short, and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've learned with interactive exercises and practice questions to ensure that you're ready. You can even submit questions to the Pro Prep professors and receive video answers within 24 hours. Proprep have created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go over to their website. The link is in the description. It's proprep.uk slash slash football, and you can find more information there as well as sign up to a free 30-day trial. No credit card information is av- is needed to do that. Uh, check out ProPrep, the ultimate study tool. Our kind sponsors for the month of December. Thank you guys so much. Um, right, let's get back to the football talk. Let's get back to um, yesterday's game against Southampton. And my overall feelings on the performance were were positive. I thought that the first 15, maybe 20 minutes, we looked a little bit shaky. Um, I feel like Southampton, who we knew were going to be a very aggressive side in terms of their press. We know that's Harzenhutl's way. Uh, that's why it's called the Klop of the Alps or whatever they call him. But yeah, we knew that Southampton were going to try and be intense. We're going to try and push us quite high up the pitch. That's just the way they play. Um, and I think in the beginning, we struggled to get out of it we struggled to get out of the press we struggled to to work our way around it and i actually think looking back on it that that was largely due to us maybe not moving the ball with enough zip and enough tempo and us being a little bit cautious in the sense of always wanting to take that extra touch and if you look at the opening goal that obviously came from us beating the press with some wonderful passing at the back there were risks taken uh, in terms of how long players were waiting to release the ball before, uh, as they were being closed down. But then there was some good, quick, accurate, sharp first-time passing uh, between Ramsdale, uh, Partey. Um, I think it might have been Ben White as well off the top of my head. But great, great little bit of a move there to work that space. And then once we broke forward down the right-hand side, we had the the ab- ability to get bodies into the box. Alexander Lacazette turns up uh, the ball cut back and there he was there to to finish it brilliantly. And yeah, that was, I, I described it yesterday on on the BBC Football Daily podcast as um, the kind of goal that Mikel Arteta would dream about. You know, when he instructs his team to play out from the back, when he asks them to, to be brave and bold and take on the risk of playing that way, he is doing it with the understanding of, of what it can bring in terms of benefit. And the benefit it can bring is that if it works well, especially against a side that like to press so high up the pitch, you then have spaces in behind that you can exploit. And I think one of the criticisms this way of playing has always seemed to uh, attract is, but the passing needs to be perfect for you to go and score a goal. And I think that's true. You know, I think I talked the other day when we were talking about the attack that it was weird or, or it was a little bit confusing because on the one hand, Mikel is asking his team to do something which is so precise. It needs to be so accurate. and needs to be done so perfectly. And on the other hand, his kind of second tactic, if you like, is to work the ball into wide areas and put crosses in the box from the left back. And that is a completely different approach, right? One is like a percentage approach, and one is a sure thing, or, or you want it to do be a sure thing. But um, as the wandering minstrel says perfectly, it was risky. It was quick moving, one touch football. And, and and I, I think one of the big things when when teams sit back and defend against you, and I'm not saying that Southampton did that, but as a more kind of general rule, when teams sit back against you, one of the things I always say is, if you don't move the ball quickly and sharply and take risks in your passing and carry the ball, et etc. Et you will end up um, in a place where people are able to hold their positions. People are able to, to see what's going on with foresight. And, and actually, you need to be a little bit chaotic. You need to do things quickly. You need to do things with tempo. And a lot of the time, risk-taking is necessary. So, yeah, I think this was, um, this was fantastic. And, and as I say, the kind of goal that Mikel Arteta would have dreamed about. And look, Lacazette, I didn't think was very good um, at Everton. Nice to see him bounce back with a goal. Um, Hasn't scored enough goals this season, Lacazette, uh, I don't think, hasn't um, even had enough shots at goal. If you look at that statistic, it was really, really low uh, going into yesterday's game. I'm not sure it would have increased all that much, but good to see him contribute. Good to see Saka um, bursting forward and having the presence of mind not to just aimlessly put the ball in the penalty area, but to cut it back to an area in which he anticipated Alexander Lacazette would be in. So yeah, really good goal. Really enjoyed that. Um, the second goal as well uh, was was well taken. Uh, cross coming from the right-hand side, went all the way out to the left. Tierney attempted a couple of crosses, I think, into the penalty area and eventually headed it back into the mix. And there was Martin Odegaard to head into the back of the net. And Look, Martin Odegaard has had his critics recently and and I've been on here and said that I feel like he's 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 not delivering the level that we all know he's capable of. Look, it's, it's, the fact that he's talented is is undoubted. You know, he's he's got a wonderful left foot, he's got great vision. I think he's somebody who confidence is a big deal for and I think the run he's been on, you know, I know that at Manchester United he gave away uh, the stupid penalty which ultimately cost us a point. But He scored a brilliant goal. He scored a goal at Everton, again arriving into the right area inside the penalty area just at the right time. And he did the same thing again yesterday. You know, He he popped up in the penalty area, uh, got on the end of Kieran Tierney's header, headed it brilliantly past Willy Caballero. And it's three goals in three games for Martin Odegaard. And I think as an attacking midfielder who's clearly having an influence in the final third at this moment in time, I don't know what else you can really ask for him. His work rate is immense. Um, There was a situation in the first period where uh, Southampton managed to to create a shooting opportunity. I think it was Armstrong out on their left-hand side. And you just see Martin Odegaard tracking all the way back from the middle of the pitch to essentially help out Takehiro Tomiyasu. And he is incredible in his work rate. He's incredibly talented. And I feel like at times he struggled from a lack of confidence i think we at times as a fan base have been overly harsh on him we you know we look at martin odegaard we look at how long he's been in football um we look at how long he's been around the kind of high profile clubs he joined real madrid at 16 years old and it's very easy to forget that martin odegaard is still incredibly young and still a player finding his way although he was at madrid for all that time the majority of the time he spent out on loan with other clubs playing a lower standard of football and he's now in the premier league and it doesn't get much tougher than that i just think that with with martin odegaard we need to be aware of this situation as well and understand that when we're talking about other players and their their need to develop and the fact that that will inevitably bring inconsistencies and in how we should remain patient with those guys odegaard certainly falls into that category forget the price tag forget the fact that he come from real madrid he's a young player still developing and um, yeah, you know, I uh, really, really enjoyed his performance again. Um, The third goal, Gabriel. Great to see Gabriel uh, being really, really effective from set pieces again. Had a goal disallowed prior to that as well. Um I, I think for me that the best part of the game, and I know we got the first couple of goals uh, in the first half. And then, of course, Gabriel added that third and then it went a little bit... Um you know well we didn't push on and get a fourth and a fifth that, that's fine you know not a big deal but i think there was a period at the start of the second half i think it was from the 45th minute to about the 67 68th minute where i just thought arsenal were unreal um we were moving the ball with such zip such tempo such um you know, confidence that people were, you know, Lacazette was flicking the ball over people's heads. Martinelli was like an absolute machine coming down that left-hand side. He's another player I'll come on to talk about individually in a moment. Um, you know, you had Thomas Partey stepping further forward and and being a lot more kind of um, controlling than he has been in recent weeks. The we struck the woodwork a couple of times, first through Martinelli. Wonderful effort, really deserved the goal. Incredibly unfortunate not to get it. But Kai Osaka struck the woodwork as well. And that period was, you know, you're sitting there and you're going, this is what Mikel wants. This is what Mikel's asking for. This level of intensity, this level of aggression, this level of pressure. And um, and you could see him on the sidelines. He was being fueled by, you know, he was waving people forward. The crowd were up on their feet. The atmosphere in the stadium during that period was was in immense. And I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, that was kind of the best period of the game, I would say. But interestingly, you know, is it, are we able to to perform like that for 90 minutes every week? I don't think you can. You know, I think I think very few teams have the fitness to be able to do that over a period of time. And it's why you seem to see Arsenal playing in spurts a little bit. Um, in an ideal world, you'd like to be in a place where you could do it for longer patches than just 15, 20 minutes. But um, you know, at least we're starting to see what it is that the the idea is now and what it is that the intention is. Um, a couple of you saying in the chat that it, it's only Southampton. Um, Inter says, uh, yeah, I agree. Let's not guess, get gassed over Southampton. Yeah, and, and I'm not getting gassed. You know, I, I've said to you guys time and time again, my, um, my expectation of Arsenal this season is to finish in the top six. Losing at Man United, losing at Liverpool didn't change that equally winning at home against Southampton doesn't change that. I, I'm not going to go big one way or the other based on individual results. I think that's something you, you, you need to be wary of doing. Um, I think people did feel like that earlier in the season. And I think it's why the defeats at Old Trafford and Anfield and then Everton uh felt like a, a massive kick in the, t- in the stomach for, to people. But ultimately as I said before, the remit hasn't changed for Arsenal. It's about getting back into Europe. I know people will say they don't accept that that they want to see us challenging for the top four. That has to be the minimum goal. It's the it's the main it's the goal. It's the the ideal scenario. It's the ideal way we could finish this season. But it's not the likeliest outcome. Is the point I guess I'm trying to make here. So top six is is sensible in terms of a prediction in terms of what you expect, and we're in a great place to um to hopefully challenge for that right up until the end of the campaign so not getting gassed because it was Southampton I'm pleased with various elements of the performance though and and you have to be Uh, I touched on Martin Odegaard I want to touch on Gabriel Martinelli because I thought he was the other star of the show yesterday as I say really unfortunate not to get his goal um, struck the woodwork but was so intense was so hard working was so effective in terms of just wanting to beat people, wanting to take people on, just being so direct in picking up the ball and just driving into the penalty area and trying to make things happen all the time. Really, really good performance for him. And, and look, I've been uh, saying um, you know, for a while now that Gabriel Martinelli needed to improve his overall game, that Gabriel Martinelli needed when given opportunities to grab him with both hands and prove to Mikel Arteta that he can be trusted, and I think in the last couple of fixtures or in the last few weeks, he's done that brilliantly. Um, wasn't so good at Everton, but um, obviously, you know, gave a good account of himself against Newcastle with that wonderful goal when he came on and and was brilliant again yesterday. Uh, the goal um, for Gabriel, goal I remember turning around when the goal went in. Uh, to my mate next to me. And I said, that was a goal made in Brazil, Martinelli's delivery and Gabriel's uh, header at the near post. But a- another element of, of Martinelli's game, I thought that was on on show yesterday that maybe hasn't been, maybe we haven't had a chance to have a good look at it, was his uh, set piece delivery. I thought his corners yesterday were magnificent. They were really well taken. They were put into the right areas. And, and for once, Arsenal feel like a A threat from those situations. But yeah, really good delivery from Martinelli. And it's not really something I'd have um, associated him with. Not that I thought his delivery was was overly bad. I just, I never really thought that Martinelli should be a corner taker. And I guess, um, you know, he he showed yesterday that he's a good option uh, for that particular role as well. Uh, Mark uh, says, uh, yesterday's game reflects our overall season so far. Good, bad and ugly. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess so in, in in some ways. But I think it's really important that we don't um, allow this, um, you know, I, I think it's really important that we don't allow this Aubameyang thing um, to detract from the fact that Arsenal, low on confidence, bounced back um, and, and got a victory and, and a comprehensive victory at that. I do agree with you. There were there were elements in the game that weren't great either. The first, as I said, the first 15, 20 minutes was was kind of poor and kind of ropey and, and not what we'd have liked it to be. But what I would say is. Um, is this. This team are going to have these moments. There are going to be ups and downs, and and I keep saying that because I genuinely do believe it to be true. I genuinely believe that we're not the finished article. I genuinely believe we're, we're still quite away from being the finished article. Therefore, how come, Therefore, my standards that I set, and people always say to me, oh, you're accepting mediocrity, you know, you're happy when you beat Southampton, but you should be bloody beating Southampton. The point I'm trying to make here is, if you have an opinion on where this team are at, so for example, the people that are, are in the chat and, and constantly say, Arsenal shit, the manager shit, the players are shit, et cetera, et cetera then if that's your opinion, whether that be that all three of them, uh, all three of those elements are are not where they need to be or just one or two, then surely your standard has to reflect your view on that team, right? You can't have a standard of Arsenal need to finish in the top four this season and then with the same breath tell me that the manager's crap, the players are crap, and that the tactics are crap. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not being deluded. It's not being... um, It's not being... uh, accepting of, of of poor standards it's about understanding where we're actually at and then adjusting your current standards accordingly uh let's see uh what else we've got you know what let's uh let's chat a couple more bits and then we'll take some questions in the chat box so start popping your questions in pop a queue in uh at the beginning of those so i can find them a little bit easier i've just realized that i can highlight um questions um on on streamyard which is wonderful because then i don't have to scroll through and, and look for them uh because that does drive me mad it's one of the hardest bits of doing this live uh, is spotting a good question while you're talking about something else making sure you you remember or process who wrote it and then being able to go back through the chat and find it but there's a highlight button maybe that's always been there and i just haven't noticed it i don't know anyway um yeah uh, martinelli very very good odegaard very very good saka effective as well uh kieran tierney looked a bit better yesterday uh tommy assu very very good game i thought white and gabriel were, were good at the back in the midfield i thought Xhaka was a little bit sloppy in the first half uh a little bit sloppier than he normally is in terms of losing the ball um in areas where he, he really shouldn't and i know he seems to do it sometimes and he, he does he does have those brain fart moments and unfortunately for him they often lead to to goals but He gave the ball away a couple of times in midfield yesterday, which was a little bit, a little bit disappointed. Um, A little bit disappointing. So, um, yeah, he he wasn't amazing yesterday, but he is still coming back from that long-term injury thrown in after a couple of months at Everton the other day. And um, that was, uh, you know, that was not ideal, in my opinion. Um, Thomas Partey alongside him, I thought, was low-key good yesterday. And what do I mean by low key good? I don't think he pulled up any trees. Like I don't think he went out there and completely took the game by the scruff of the neck and controlled it. But he looked a little bit better. Um, he looked a little bit better than um, than he has done in in recent weeks. Um, so yeah, uh, delighted um, delighted with the with the performance. Aaron Ramsdale again made a couple of smart stops, but the highlight of Aaron Ramsdale's game yesterday has got to be uh, that clearance where he looked for Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand side. I don't know if they showed it on Match of the Day, because I haven't watched Match of the Day yet, but the I've seen the highlights of the game back, obviously, but just not on Match of the Day. Um, but he got the ball in his hands, and he sort of dummied to throw it at Martinelli, allowed him to then get on his bike, looked as though he might be doing something else, and then just launched this driven kick out towards the left-hand side, which Martinelli brought down brilliantly, but unfortunately um, couldn't make... I couldn't make much of it. Uh, but yeah, great stuff. Uh from Aaron Ramsdale again, as always. Right. Let's uh let's take some of your questions uh from the chat box. Uh, Mikey B, is there evidence that Oba has been developing Martinelli from the raw unstructured uh, That Oba? Sorry, let me start that again. Is there evidence that Arteta has been developing Martinelli from the raw unstructured player that we once knew? Yeah. I think there has been. And look, again, it's just that the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? You know, it's so easy to react to stuff really, really quickly and go over the bo- over the top about it and go overboard and, and be over reactionary. And I do feel that when Martinelli was, uh, you know, not featuring too frequently last season off the back of coming back from a really long term injury, I think that the, the the knee-jerk reaction or the knee-jerk response to him not being in the team was, oh, Arteta doesn't rate him. Arteta thinks he's shit. Arteta thinks he's crap. That's absolutely not the case. Arteta, based on what we're seeing from Martinelli now, in terms of what you mentioned there, Mikey, the the, the kind of structured side of his game, uh, he's come on leaps and bounds. and, And that has to have come from work on the training ground. Now, if you don't care about a player and if you don't believe in a player or fancy the player in terms of, him going on to be an asset to you, then you don't spend that time and you don't spend that focus, not, not as much focus. He's done brilliantly. He's been given his opportunities. He's clearly developed. And off the back of that, he's getting his reward with game time. So, yeah, I think you could certainly make a case that um, that Mikel has done a, a decent job there. Uh, Inter says, uh, do you genuinely believe there will be an upturn now or will it be the same old roundabout crap? It, define upturn. Uh, Because upturn for me is dependent on the run of games that we've got, because there are teams in the Premier League that we're better than and there are are teams that we're not. And um, that's how how simply I look at that particular thing. Look, I've said it before, Southampton, victory there. We take on West Ham at home on Wednesday. Look, we could win that game. I know West Ham have had a good season, but there's no reason why we can't beat them at the Emirates stadium. Then we play Leeds who are struggling this season, riddled with injuries, really unlucky to lose at Chelsea yesterday, but they've not been the Leeds of last season. Then there's Norwich and Wolves and all of those games are winnable. And if, I'm not saying we're going to win every single one of them. In fact, I don't expect us to win every single one of them. But if you can pick up a good points tally, it kind of covers you for when you do go away to teams that maybe you're not as good at and have less chance of beating. So over the course of the season is when you judge this team. Over the course of the season is how you judge what what a job Mikel Arteta has done, whether good or bad. And, And that's my point. You know, we went on a great run after the first three defeats of the season, which many people you know, were surprised by. But for me, that, as I keep saying, that never really shifted the the goalposts. It never really shifted my opinion of the club uh, and and the team too much. Uh, Let's see, uh, deflected mind. Football was exceptionally good yesterday, Harry. What do you think changed? Well, one of the big things we've talked about over the last few weeks is how a team uh, had gone, how our team had gone from being so confident during that unbeaten run to the confidence being completely zapped out of them and to them being almost on their knees from a kind of confidence viewpoint or perspective or what am I saying you know their confidence was was on its knees essentially is what I'm trying to say there yeah Um, but after we scored that first goal yesterday it was like it all come flooding back and it just goes to show that you know when we talk about Arsenal's attack being not very kind of creative, not very spontaneous, not very fluid. Although an element of that is tactical and although an element of that is is down to Mikel Arteta and the structure with which he asks the team to play, a lot of it is just purely down to confidence. And it's, you know, having the confidence to, to take on the man, having the confidence to play the riskier pass, having the confidence to ping the ball at someone because it's the only way you get it to them and, and trusting that they'll be able to bring it down and control it knowing where your runners are going to be, all of that stuff, it's, it's to do with confidence. And when you see the game flowing the way it did after, you know, particularly in that period I mentioned at the start of the second half, that was everybody kind of with the bit between their teeth, the crowd behind them as well, and feeling as though they were completely in control, they were dominant, and they can go on and really take this game to Southampton. And they did exactly that. So, yeah, I think... That first goal was a bit of a catalyst. It kind of brought the confidence back that had been missing in recent weeks. And and I know that sounds like I'm just copping out and giving you a really simple answer, but I don't actually think like positionally, I don't actually think that tactically an awful lot was different. I think it was confidence and it was players taking the opportunities that came their way, but also being braver and bolder in the way that they attacked. and, And yeah, really liked it. Uh, Aaron says, uh, just going back to the Aubameyang thing quickly, uh, wouldn't you be afraid that stripping the captaincy off, the Ob- off of Aubameyang would cause a toxic atmosphere at the club? For me, he should leave if we decided to go for that route. Yeah, but I also think, Aaron, that y- you need to, as a manager, if you set that standard, but I talked earlier about Mikel Arteta having balls, cojones, whatever you want to call them. And I think he's shown that in outing him, he's shown that in in making the situation public, um also by by making sure he followed through with the punishment let's see how big his cojones are if he was stripping with the captaincy. i think he should look i was saying this to someone yesterday and and i ended up tweeting it as well um and and again a lot of people didn't um you know didn't respond to it well a lot of people thought that i was i was talking nonsense but my point was when it comes to disciplinary issues Uh, And when it comes to players not respecting the club, not respecting the fact that they're in a very privileged position to not only be playing for Arsenal and getting paid a shitload of money for it, but to be the captain of this historic football club, they deserve to be punished when they take the piss. They deserve to be punished when they cross the line. And for me, when it comes to the, uh, the Aubameyang thing, a lot of people are very, you know, Arteta in or Arteta out. That is irrelevant in this debate for me. You know, it's, it's, I don't care if, you know, if, if Harry Redknapp was our manager, I'd be saying the same thing. You know, it's it, when in issues of discipline, you back the manager because it's a lack of professionalism on the player's part. And it's it's a lack of professionalism that's just making the manager's job harder. Um, and I think managers are right to look. I mean, if you're at work and and, you know, you're, let, let's say, for example, you're, I don't know, you're a waiter. You're a chef. Let's say you're a chef. And uh, you're working in a restaurant. This is one of my weird analogies, but bear with me. You're working in a restaurant. You're a chef. The waiter goes and takes somebody's order. Um, The customer ordering says, I don't want, I don't know, any butter in my food because I'm allergic. And the waiter forgets to write that down or doesn't write it down and goes over and gives it to the chef. The chef makes the food. The manager of the restaurant. It's then taken to the customer. The customer sends it back. The manager of the restaurant comes over and says, what the hell is going on? As the chef, are you going to take the blame? As the chef, are you going to say, oh, my bad? No, you're going to say, well, he took the order wrong. And in a job where there is high pressure, high stakes, I know being a chef isn't like being a footballer, but it's high pressure in that you've got to do things quickly and, and well and correctly. In a job of high stakes, when someone makes a cock-up that is going to cause you a problem, you will call them out. And I don't think Mikel was was wrong to do that. And I I don't think he'd be wrong, Aaron, uh, to take away the captaincy. Uh, Big hello to Willie Moyes. He says, hi, mate. Great show. Would you make Kieran Tierney the captain for the West Ham game? Um, I think I would give it to Lacazette if he's playing. Um, I think for me, he's someone that's very, very popular around the team. Um, he's a senior player. I like Kirantini as well, but I'm, I'm reluctant to give Chiarantini the captaincy on a permanent basis because of his injury record. I, I don't want a captain who's not always present. Like, uh, that's an issue for me. Um, look, I wouldn't be against Chiarantini getting it. And I know a lot of people ain't going to like this, but I wouldn't be against Granite Xhaka getting it either because we know he's going to play. He's back in the team now. It's as simple as that. Um, so yeah, Tierney's an option, but I would probably lean towards uh, Lacazette. I would say. Uh, Noah Daniel says, "Would you give Smith Rowe and Odegaard a chance on the same team and remove a striker? Might be a stupid idea, but they're both producing more than our strikers. I think there is a world in which they can play together. Yeah, I do. I think there's a um, there's a way in which you can accommodate them. It means one of them playing wide, one of them playing through the middle. And I think we've seen that Mikel Arteta's preference." Recently, it's been for Emil Smith-Rowe to play from the left-hand side. So I don't um, envisage them, uh, you know, it, it, I don't envisage a situation where it's one or the other. Um, in terms of taking out a striker, I don't think that's mad. But I think in doing that, you need to have players like Martinelli in the team who will, ca- well, what Martinelli does excellently, and he did it really well against Everton. If you watch the goal back uh, that we scored, One of the reasons we create that goal is because Martinelli recognises once the ball's gone out to Tierney that he needs to make a run of a striker and not a run of a winger coming from the outside in. And he takes up a position at the near post and he drives towards that near post, which ultimately pulls some defenders with him and leaves that space for Martin Odegaard to follow in. So I think you can do that with Smith, Rowe and Odegaard, but you need the right runners in and around them if you're going to take out a striker, as you say in the question. Um Force nines can work, but Force nines only work if the players around them make the right runs. And if and if all of that works in tandem, then it's a, it can be effective. And it can also see you really dominate possession in the middle of the park. I think it's one of the big reasons that Man City are so difficult to get the ball off and why they strangle teams, because they're able to play that way. Uh, and the false nine, although it's something that Pep's been criticised for, I th- actually think it's something that works quite well for them. Right, let's take a couple um, a couple more of your questions before we wrap up. Uh, Inter also says, are you watching the F1 today, Harry? I knew this was going to come up because I slated F1 the other day. Um, look, I'm not a massive F1 fan. I don't particularly rate it as a sport. I find it boring. I find it overly technical. Um, and that, for me, is not... I don't know. It feels like I need a degree to watch a, a race, and I don't want that. Like, you know... So, yeah, anyway... Um, I like sports where you can go into that de- level of detail if you really want to, but if you want to watch it a little bit casually, like football, you can. I don't think you can do that with F1. I think you even need to know about it or or, or not. Um, I will have it on today. I've got a few things to do. Um, I am working on commentary later on on uh, Celtic versus Motherwell from the Scottish Premiership. That one kicks off at 3pm, but I will be... Um, In the lead up to that, uh, doing some other bits and pieces, I'll have it on in the background. I'm curious to see who wins, but that's it. Uh, Let's get some likes on the board. By the way, guys, um, I should have said this way earlier on in the video, but uh, we need your help. We need the likes uh we've got over 350 of you watching us live at this moment in time but there's only 81 likes on the board there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to get this up to 150 at least so please please do smash the like button if you haven't done so already also subscribe to the channel if you are new we're not a million miles off of 17 and a half thousand subscribers on the youtube channel and i'd love to get their asap so please um Please do that for me if you haven't done so already. Right, let's uh, let's pick up a couple more of your questions um, before we uh, duck out. Akene says, Harry, why can't Arteta get this team passing ball? He is a Lamasia graduate, played under Wenger and worked with Pep. Is it the players or the coaching? I, you know, Akeni, I, I spoke earlier on about how I felt that we the passing was there yesterday, um, and a lot of it is down to confidence um I, I, I think too much like I, i've said this before i think managers in some ways although they are responsible for the overall performances of the teams are almost held too responsible like if somebody can't complete an eight-yard pass in an in-game situation then that is on the player right they're professionals they should be able to uh, adhere or, or or meet certain levels and a lot of these players that they don't you know so or they don't in certain moments, which then disrupts the flow of the game. I don't think you can say that, you know, Mikel Arteta can't get this team passing the ball. I think that's that's unfair. Um, I think that a lot of the the poor performances have been from uh, have been as a consequence of the players not, not hitting the standards required. I, look, Arteta's made mistakes. I'm not ever, like, shying away from that. He's made loads of mistakes. But... You can't praise him loads for yesterday, but then slag him off loads when we lose at Everton, when I don't believe that in the lead up to the game, in the dressing room before the game at halftime and after the game, his message would have been that much different. That's that's the point I'm making. Uh, Jay Dubia says, Harry, truth is, as a fan, we should be happy when we beat anyone. What's the point in being a fan if you can't celebrate winning or having victories with caveats i enjoy every win yeah me too mate and I, I completely agree with you this is a great point um and somebody had messaged me this yesterday and i, I did think at the time that it's something i should mention and, and i completely forgot so i do apologize but it's a an important point i mentioned to you guys um on the podcast a little while about uh, a little while ago um how kind of sad I was to hear of the passing of of Ray Kennedy, former Arsenal man, um, former Liverpool man as well. And in that week, Liverpool um, did a minute's silence, a minute's applause, minute of appreciation, whatever way you want to look at it for Ray Kennedy. Obviously he had a great career at Liverpool, but he spent some time at Arsenal as well. Had a good career at Arsenal too. And I was surprised that in our first home game, um, following his passing, that there was nothing done by the club. I think that was disappointing. Um, and I think a lot of the maybe older generation who remember Ray Kennedy a lot more clearly and have a, a kind of better idea of his significance to the club than maybe you or I do, um, have felt quite frustrated by that. And I think rightly so. I, I think it was poor form from Arsenal. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, In Yang says, that analogy took a while. Morning, Harry. Yeah, my restaurant analogy. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Wondering Minstrel says chef is perfect. He would know uh, one of the best in the business. Uh, Let's um, let's take I'm going to take one more uh, before I uh, jump off. Uh, Just a reminder as well. uh, Like and subs. Terrence says let's get to 200 likes. Yes, that that would be fantastic. There's enough of you watching. Um, (laughs) He also says hit the likes you lazy freeloaders. Agreed. Um, Let's take this one from uh radu muxolo ragu radu sorry if uh, sorry mate i might must have butchered your name i apologize um would you rather arsenal get rid of oba and get vlavic in january and darwin Nunez in the summer i think we could do with a couple of strikers yeah look vlavic is is one that's looking increasingly unlikely um it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money i think there'll be other clubs in the race as well and i think Vlavic's preference from what we're hearing is, is to stay in Italy. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up at Inter maybe, who, um, who have Edin Dzeko, who's playing or does play a lot of the time up top with Lautaro Martinez. And, and obviously Edin Dzeko is in the twilight of his career. Um, Juve, I'm sure, will be in the market in the summer because It's not really working out for them this summer. They'll have to take drastic action. His preference, according to to a load of reports, is to stay in Italy. Um, Obviously, the Premier League talks in terms of money and in terms of what we can pay for players. But, um, yeah, it's it's one that I don't think is very likely. I think Darwin Nunez is a more attainable target, um, if I'm being completely honest. And, and look, I'd be happy with either of them. I like both of them as players. Uh, And maybe if those rumours or... kind of reports hot up a little bit we can do a little bit of a deeper dive into each of those two players right thank you for all your questions thank you for all your interaction it's been great as always um i'll be back very very soon with more arsenal related content um we are on 112 likes let's get to 150 by the time the outro plays thank you all so much for your support thank you to pro Prep for sponsoring the chronicles of aguna podcast and we'll be back very very soon with more until next time goodbye